Welcome to the Valley Point Podcast in the series, The Three R's. Our big idea for the day is wisely use what God has given to you. We're going to spend time in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Enjoy and thanks for listening. I'm really glad you're here today because we are moving into the second part now of the three R's series. But my guess is, because you're a really smart crowd, you already knew that, didn't you? You knew that because we changed the color on the graphic, right? So you knew something was happening. And it is, we are going to introduce the next word in the series, and that is the word rich. So here's what I want to do for the next couple of weeks. I want to talk about money. It may surprise you, or maybe it won't, that God actually has quite a bit to say about money and things related to money, like management and stewardship. And we find this all throughout Scripture. It's really a fascinating and an interesting kind of thing that God himself is not silent on this issue at all. As a matter of fact, Jesus spoke more about money and again, things related to it, like management and stewardship, then topics like heaven and hell combined. It's true. Jesus spoke more about money than any other topic outside of the kingdom of heaven. And so when you look to scripture, it is really hard to ignore the fact that this topic is kind of a big deal to God. And because it's a big deal to God, it should be a big deal to us. And there's a lot we can learn from him and what he provides for us right in scripture. As a matter of fact, it might even surprise you what God has to say about this topic and what he wants for us, not necessarily from us, but what God wants for us as we think about this issue and this topic of money. I know this topic, especially when we talk about it in church, can make people really nervous And there can be angst centered around this type of conversation. I get it, and I want to acknowledge that tension right now. But here's how I would encourage you. Let's just consider, and let's just think about what God says in his word about money. We're going to try to think about that and give a foundation to that. Wisely use what God has given to you. And here's what I want all of us to begin thinking about right now. God has given us all financial resources. Every single person in this room, doesn't matter how young you are or how old you are or what that resource may look like, how much or how little, we all have financial resources that God has given to us. And so we want to begin thinking about how can I and how can we as followers of Christ wisely use what God has given to us. So let's check out 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 and 18. Here's what it says. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works And generous to those in need. Always being ready to share with others. 
It's interesting because the Bible talks about being rich and having wealth. It doesn't shy away from that topic at all. It really jumps right into that, but it kind of does it from a different perspective and a different platform, especially here in 1 Timothy chapter 6. So what's the platform and what's the perspective that we find here in 1 Timothy chapter 6? I think what we discover here is that those who are rich and those who have wealth may not be very good at it. And that's what 1 Timothy chapter 6 is kind of pushing on a bit. And I find that to be interesting. And so as I was putting all of this together and looking at these verses and thinking about our conversation today, I began to think through who's rich and what does that even mean? And how do you describe that? How do you define it? What does it mean to be rich? And who actually is rich? Well, as I began to study and research, I discovered that no one is really good at figuring that out either. In a recent Time Magazine article on the psychology of money by Brad Tuttle, and this was something that I was able to find, he wrote about what it actually means to be wealthy in America today. And so here are some of these observations that he gave. You might find this to be interesting. Of those with investable assets worth $1 million to $5 million, only 28% answered yes to the question, do you consider yourself wealthy? And of those investors surveyed with $5 million or more in investable assets, just 60% answered yes to the same question. In other words, 4 in 10 Americans with assets of $5 million or more, don't think that they're truly rich. And the article went on to describe that figuring out what rich means is becoming increasingly difficult because nobody, almost nobody, puts themselves into that category. Wealthy can mean very different things depending on where one lives and where one works and the lifestyle of the person next door because you've got to keep your eyes on them too in the whole process. I found some other research in the Wall Street Journal, and they took a survey a few years ago and came to the conclusion that the definition of rich is having double your current income. And if that happened to you, well, that would be rich. So if you have an income of $100,000, if you just had $200,000, well, that would be rich. Or if you have an income of $1 million, if you just had $2 million, well, that would be considered rich. It seems that we can't even figure out what the definition of rich is. Even the experts are having a difficult time really zeroing in on that and defining that. So what in the world do we do with a paragraph like 1 Timothy chapter 6? where it says, teach those who are rich in this world. By the way, that word rich in the original language means abundance. So teach those who have an abundance not to be proud and not to trust in that, but they need to trust in God because he is the one who richly provides things. And by the way, God does provide those things for us and for our enjoyment But then that verse ends by saying they should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share. And that word share in the original language means liberal or generous. So 
these individuals who are rich should be generous to and for others. So I think the question becomes, if we can't figure out the actual definition of rich and who fits into that category when it comes to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 and 18, who is that talking to? Who's it referring to? My best guess is that it's referring to me. And it's probably referring to you as well. Just imagine with me for a moment, just pretend, that you were to travel to a third world country like the Dominican Republic, and you were to spend time in the village like our group just did a few weeks ago, and they had a marvelous time there, and they accomplished quite a bit. But imagine that you had the opportunity to go there and hang out in the village and go into the homes of the people that live there. Very basic, very basic, very small homes. But you're out in the village, and the people invite you into their homes. A family does that. And by the way, that happens there. They are so warm and so loving, very delightful people. And they just invite you into their homes. And so just imagine, pretend that you go in, and you sit down at the table, and you look at them and say, you know what, I would love to describe to you the financial pressure that I experience. I I would love to do that. I would like to take a few moments of your time and share with you how difficult it really is to make ends meet. I just want to take some time and let's do that. This would be a great thing. My guess is, (laughs) my best guess is that you would not do that. I mean, that would be obnoxious. That would be ridiculous. And I don't think you would do that because you have social intelligence. You wouldn't do that. The other reason I don't think you would do that is because we're rich. I want you to look at this sentence on the screen for just a moment. Humbling, isn't it? And it's not just the fact that you can read that statement. It's the very fact that you have the freedom to do so. And in global terms, and in the big picture of what's happening in the world, that's really not the case everywhere. Rich. Let's think about $37,000 for a moment. Not necessarily a large amount of money, kind of decent, but not necessarily a lot. But for 96% of the world's population, that would be a significant pay increase. And if you earn more than that, well, congratulations. You are in the top 4% of wage earners in the world. Rich. Cell phone problems? That's a rich person's problem. Computer kind of slow and throwing you off your groove? Rich person's problem. Just the other day, I ordered a new theology book from Amazon, and I have been excited about this book. It's something that I've wanted for a while, and I finally had the chance to do that, and so I ordered the book, and as I was completing the order, Amazon told me that there was a problem with my credit card. And so I went in and fixed that. There was some information that was missing or dates had changed or whatever. So I fixed that, and I placed my order and felt very inconvenienced that I had to take time to fix all of that information. So I did that and was feeling really good about my order with Amazon. And then I got two emails thanking me for purchasing the same book twice. (laughs) 
Amazon. And so I tried to cancel the order, but I must have waited about 60 seconds, and they told me it's too late, you can't cancel it anymore, but you, on your own, can contact the seller, and perhaps they'll be generous and kind and gracious, and they will cancel it for you. And so I emailed the seller, and I got down on my hands and knees and pleaded with them, saying, I really don't want two of the same book, I just want one, and can you please refund my money? And they responded and said, yeah, we'll be glad to cancel that order, and you'll see this reappear in your bank account in about nine months or so, right? Amazon, rich person's problem, right? Again, I think we are having a very difficult time describing and figuring out what is rich, but when you begin to think about it from this perspective, all of a sudden, you can wrap your mind around what that potentially looks like. Now, I share all of that not to make anybody feel bad. All right, I want you to know that. Nobody needs to feel bad about what you have or what you have accomplished in your life. Nobody ever has to feel bad about what God has given to you so that you can enjoy it. God's the one who's made the choice to give that to you. And I don't think we ever have to feel bad about that. And I don't think we ever have to apologize for what God has given to us. We can enjoy that and we should. So this isn't about making anybody feel bad. It's about helping us to feel responsible. And we have a tremendous opportunity in front of us to just make a significant difference right here in this community and around the world. And that's why we've got to think about how can I wisely use what God has given to me. So with that as a backdrop, in thinking about all of that information and trying to define rich. Let's go back now and look at 1 Timothy chapter 6 one more time and kind of peel apart these different phrases. So here's verse 17. It says, teach those who are rich. And again, keep in mind, that's probably us because we have abundance. So teach those who have abundance in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. I think the potential is that we begin to trust in what we have, especially in terms of money. And that might bring a level of safety and security to us, and that can be a really dangerous thing. And God understood that. God knew that. And so through Paul, he says, Tell those who are rich in this world then not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable, but their trust should be, it should be in me should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. And what we find in the second part of verse 17 there is this transfer of hope, this transfer of trust. And the transfer of trust should be off of our stuff and off of our money and onto God himself because, after all, he is the one who richly provides and gives us everything that we have and everything that we need. And so there's a transfer of trust here from money to God himself. This transfer is subtle, but it's rather significant. Now, here's how we do that. Verse 18, tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share, always being ready to be liberal and generous with others. I want to share three takeaways as we think about this challenge 
to us from 1 Timothy chapter 6. So here's takeaway number one. Constantly remind yourself it's not your money. It's not mine. And the key word in that phrase is constantly. I think we have to continually remind ourselves that this actually isn't my money. This is God's gift to me. And his expectation, his desire is that I manage this. I steward this in an effective way. This is all because of the goodness of God. Everything that I have and what I have achieved and my ability to succeed and my ability to work, this is all from the gracious and generous hand of God. And I've got to constantly remind myself that this is not my money. It actually all belongs to God. And what happens when we do that is we're able to hold everything with open hands then because it's not really mine. And so it doesn't matter if some goes away or if I am liberal and generous with that because it belonged to God in the first place. And so I have this unique ability. When I understand it's not my money, it's all from the goodness of God, I can hold everything with open hands and allow God to use that to bless and to benefit others. The other thing that happens when I get this is that I am able to successfully pull off that transfer of trust from money to God himself. So it's really not mine. God owns it all. And this is the one big underlying paradigm-shifting truth in all of this. And if we could just get that and understand that, again, it frees us to do more of this. And it allows us to view God's money from his perspective. So constantly remind yourself, it's not mine. It's not mine. And that's kind of a freeing thing, too. This is all from God. Secondly, as followers of Jesus, we are happiest and most fulfilled when we are giving back to God a portion of what he's given to us. I want you to think about that. As followers of Jesus, we are happiest and most fulfilled when we are giving back to God a portion of what he's given to us. Let me ask, are you honoring God that way? Are you giving back to God out of what he's already given to you? I've said this a lot, but I think it's worth repeating. And that is the only real appropriate response to the grace of God is generosity on our part. And when we really understand and when we really get how generous God has been to us and the gift of Jesus that he freely gives that is offered to every single person, when we understand and when we come to un, you know, just get that and come to grips with the depth of the generosity of God, the only real appropriate response is generosity on our part and saying, all right, God, here's what I'm going to give back to you. And this is why we take offerings at Valley Point. This is why we offer online giving. This is our chance to respond to the generosity of God. It's saying, wow. God, you have generously given everything to me, and here's how I want to respond to you. We are most happy and fulfilled. I really believe this. We are most happy and fulfilled when we're giving back to God out of what he's already given to us. Now, here's what helps us to get there, because that's kind of a nice thing to say and a wonderful thought, but it can be really difficult to get into that lane. So here's what keeps us from getting there. It's when we continually expose ourselves to environments where we are discontented with what we have. Does anybody do that? 
I do. There are seasons where I'm very content with who I am and what I have, and then you go somewhere or you drive down another street, and all of a sudden, everything you have looks kind of worthless. And you feel bad about that, and you become discontented. And when we become discontent with what we have, all of a sudden, you begin to, instead of holding everything open like this, you begin to pull it back and closer to you because you have to compete. God doesn't want us to have that level of discontent in our lives. And so we've got to be really careful about exposing ourselves to these environments where we might become discontent with what we have. That keeps us out of the lane of being happy and fulfilled with giving back to God out of what he's already given to us. Takeaway number three, and that is ask key questions about the money God has given to you. Again, God's given us all financial resources. He has, and so we've got to ask Key questions about what God has given to us. Questions like this. Where is it all going? We should know that, shouldn't we? We should be able to track that. And I think that's how God would want us to manage the money that he has given to us. Where is it all going? We should know that. Secondly, what has been accomplished for eternity through my wealth? Because it's not just about what I have and what I get to enjoy, but what has been accomplished for eternity with the wealth that God has given to me? And thirdly, am I honoring God by giving back to him through his church? I want to spend more time on that next week and thinking about how we have this wonderful opportunity to do that. And I want to look at this unique word called tithing and what does that word mean and what's the benefit in it for me and how that can be a very energizing and joy-filled experience when we give to God and his work through the church and watch him accomplish his purposes throughout the world and we get this opportunity to watch God do that. It is an incredible thing. So I ask key questions about the money that God has given to you. Where is it all going? What has been accomplished for eternity through my wealth? And am I honoring God by giving back to him? So think about this. God has given us all financial resources. And it doesn't matter how young, no matter how old, or what your income level may be. None of that matters. God has given different people different resources. And we need to think about how we should wisely use what God has given to us as those who have an abundance. That's what we discover from 1 Timothy chapter 6. God, we are so thankful for a few moments just to look at a very unique couple of verses in your word. God, it speaks of something we don't often like to think about, not often stuff we like to talk about, especially in church, but yet you didn't shy away from thinking about this all-important area of our lives, and so we need to be ready to think about that as well. God, you have much to say about how we can honor you and we can please you with every area of our lives, including this financial area. And so, God, as we spend a couple of weeks thinking about how we are simply managers of what you have given to us, help us to be ready to respond to you 
and whatever it is that you want for us. And God, I pray that you'd help every single person here, including myself, to continually align ourselves with your word and what you desire for us, knowing that when that happens and when we do that, we're going to be happy and fulfilled. God, I want that for myself. I want that for every single person here at Valley Point Church. So help us to listen to what you're whispering into our hearts about this particular topic and area. God, help us to get good at this. Help us to get good at managing what you have given to us so that we have margin and we have the ability to share with those in need and partner with you and your purposes in this community and around the world. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. We'd also love to have you join us on any Sunday morning as well at the Garnet Valley Middle School at 9.15 or 11 a.m.